Hello, and welcome to episode 240 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories one page and one panel at a time. On this episode, we have an interview with Matt Sumo and Pete Collins, creators of The Bardic Versus, now on Kickstarter. Matthew, Matt, thanks so much for, for joining us. As the, the writer of this book, could you give us a, uh, a brief bio about yourself and then the, the sort of the quick elevator pitch for this book? Yep. Um, first off, thanks for having me. Um, so bio about myself. I've been doing comics for about 12 years now. Um, I started with a self-published one-shot um, that brought me to the attention of a publisher called Double Take Comics. Uh, they are no longer around, but... I did about five issues of a book called Dedication for them. Uh, I was working on the sequel when they folded. Uh, after that, I've been doing um, just anthology work. Um, my last anthology that I was in um, is called Deadbeats by Wave Blue World. It was uh, nominated for a Ringo last year. Uh, the Bardic Verses is my first foray into um, Kickstarter and my first kind of long form uh, creator owned book. Awesome. And, and Pete, uh, could we get a quick uh, bio on yourself? Uh, sure. Um, it, it's going to be three seconds of dead air. Um, <laughs> I don't really have much of a bio. Um, I've been drawing my entire life. Um, I had always intended to get into comics and illustration. Um, and um, I had a family at a, year, at a very young age. So I kind of put those dreams on hold so I could support them uh, and, you know, be the family guy. Uh, which I guess I still am. <laughs> and uh, this is my first project uh, at, entirely. Awesome. So uh, I just want to circle back to, to Matt and sort of that, that origin story with, with comics. So you, you self-published a book. Um, were, you, were you handling the writing duties on that? And, um, you know, what was, can you give us a little bit of a background on, on what that, 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 that story was? Yeah. So, um, I did, I did write the script. It was, uh, about 22, 23 pages. It was, I initially pitched it for an anthology. Uh, this is back in like 2009. Uh, I pitched it as like an anthology story and they, they were like, Oh, we really like this, but we think like, you know, you should, you should really blow it out into like a, at least a, a, a one P one shot comic. So, uh, I did that. I found an artist on digital webbing, which I'm not even sure is a thing anymore. Um, the digital webbing forums, um, we kind of worked on this project together. He used the project as like a final for, for his, uh, art school at the time. Um, and we self published it through Indie Planet. Indie Planet is like a print on demand, uh, site where you can host your, your book on there and then order as many copies as you need and they'll print it up and send it. Um, so yeah, I mean, that was, it was interesting. Uh, that was really when I first started like really digging into comics in a different way, like not just reading them, uh, for enjoyment, but kind of like breaking them down and, and figuring out, um, you know, how to, how to write them. It was pretty cool. Um, I mean, I don't, I look back on that, on that book and I, I appreciate it for what it's brought me. Um, but I would, there's like a thousand and one things I wish I could do with it now, um, or, or wish I would have written into it and, and fleshed out in, in it. But again, like, I, I really appreciate the book for what it, what it's done for me, uh, since then. Yeah. So just sort of, I, I feel that that's a common sort of refrain from, from folks that like, you know, once you get a couple of books under your belt, maybe a couple of years experience that you you do sort of look back at that that first work or maybe those first couple of works and you're proud of them because 
um, you know, you took the initiative, you made something, it was a starting point, but you also sort of now with sort of the, you know, some experience under your belt, you know, looking at, you know, story a little bit more, you, 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 you sort of, it's sort of a glass half empty class, half full thing. It's like, you know, I did this, but it was inexperienced at times. So, you know, now sort of looking back at it as where I am now, you sort of, uh, I don't know if I'm describing that really well. Is that like, you're proud of it because you did it and you got started, but you're also sort of like not proud of it in that, or not proud of it. It's not like, not the best word, but you sort of like, you see sort of the, the things that you wish you could change now. Right. Yeah, of course. I mean, you see, I see the flaws in it almost immediately. Mm-hmm. And, and to your point, like I am immensely proud of it, but like, I'm not going to be like, I don't really share it with people. I don't really talk about it a lot. Like, I, I'll tell people about it, but like, it's like, you can't buy it. It's like completely out of print. It's not available on their website. Like I, it's just kind of there. Like, I think I own like maybe one copy of it. Um, but um, again, like it, it's, it opened a door for me that I didn't think would ever open. So it, I can't really fault it, but yeah, I would, if I, if given the opportunity, I would go back and write <laughs> that entire thing. Yeah. So I, in part of your answer was was leading me into the the next question that I had, and I think you sort of hinted at it. Um, when you make the decision to get serious and, and be a comic book writer, is it you know taking your favorite comics and trying to reverse engineer them, or is it you know going and getting the standard sort of understanding comics, um, you know the the textbooks, you know, there's all those DC, you know, how to how to write DC comics, you know, how to, you know, ink, color and stuff like that. So were you doing the the textbooks? Were you reverse engineering your 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 favorites or was it a combination of the of the two? It was a little bit of a combination of the two, but it was definitely like I own all of the writing for even now I, I have like Brian Bendis's writing for comics. I have the DC comics writing for comics. Uh, I have Greg, I think Greg Pack and Fred Van Lenty uh, did a, a writing for comics book. Like I, every writing for comics book that came out aside from, I think Alan Moore did one that I haven't gotten yet. I, I own and I, they're like proudly displayed on my, uh, on my bookshelf, but yeah, I've definitely read them all. And I, I've, I've definitely looked at a lot of scripts also. Like I've read a lot of comic book scripts. I think famously, dark horse um in their submissions page like has uh i think it's a script for an issue of ghost um and that really i'll be honest like that script has informed like how i write comic scripts um my script will like looks almost identical to how that that script was written so it was just a lot of like reading those books and then like reading script examples and 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 really finding what uh script type works for me um if you saw my script for for the book uh the bardic verses like it is a lot like that ghost script but it's a little uh loose um because mm-hmm. i like to let pete kind of do his his own thing like art wise so i don't really give him a lot a, a ton of direction i give him just enough and then just say like basically you know go nuts Cool. So uh, I guess I have a question for Pete and then that's going to lead into sort of like how you guys teamed up. So Pete, you have this, you know, lifelong love of drawing. Um, and this is the first thing that you're, you're going to, you know, seriously do. Had you seen um, any comic scripting or, or looked up anything beforehand before Matt sort of said, you know, here's, here's what it is. And then you sort of had to unpack it from there. 
not not exactly. Um, yeah, similar to Matt's book collection, I have a couple of a couple of books. You know, how to draw the Marvel way in particular was instrumental. I think at a young age for me to uh, start to kind of like digest like how are comics made, right? And mm-hmm. I know that there's a couple of script samples in there, not not that they align with how Matt produces his script uh, really in any way. But um, I think I think aside from that, maybe I've seen a couple, you know, in uh, director's cut type issues of books, but I've never, I've never really sought them out. Um, when I first got Matt's script, it was, um, easy to digest, you know, uh, I saw what he was pointing toward and, uh, it just kind of clicked. Um, but I've never, I've never honestly taken the time to, to go through and see like, you know, um, what different formats people use for their scripts or, you know, um, or anything like that. Awesome. And so how did you guys, uh, link up as a creative team? So Matt and I uh, both uh, have the same um, the same employer for our day job, oh. uh, and uh, as it turns out, um, we worked in different departments. And at an early point, uh, I had moved, I had transitioned over to a completely different facility. Um, and Matt and I, you know, were basically hearing about each other. You know, he he had seen little drawings I would do in meetings and pass off to coworkers, um, and he was inquiring about who, hey, who drew that thing? And uh, similarly, I was hearing that, uh, hey, there's this guy, he likes comics, he's written comics, he's published, you guys should connect. And um, at the company Christmas party, we actually met up, we talked. Um, there were fireworks, very romantic. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, things just kind of went from there. At the time, Matt was part of a, an anthology project called Cafe Volume 3 and asked if I wanted to do a pinup uh, and that is actually the first uh, published thing I've ever done, uh, which was a pinup for that book. And uh, that kind of got, that kind of took this to a new level of seriousness for me. Um, from there, we just kind of started chatting and spitballing ideas. Awesome. Yeah, that's, that's a, there, I've heard a lot of partners teaming up, but I think this might be the first time that that was sort of the, the two you know, folks that work at the same company, they're, they're hearing of each other and then they sort of are able to sort of strike up that friendship at the, at the office Christmas party. I think that's the first one. Uh, the first <laughs> time I've ever heard that. Um, so uh, Pete, is your art process, um, you know, traditional pens and inks, pencils and inks on, on boards, uh, digital or a combination of the, of the two? That is a fantastic question. Uh, my, um, a ri- my my typical format is traditional. Uh, mm-hmm. I have been a traditional artist uh, my entire artistic life, uh, so for decades. And it wasn't until I'd say two years ago that I really started dabbling in uh, in digital work. And uh, I've considered uh, we kind of considered you know, with, with the Bardic verses, you know, kind of like what approach to take. And I, I very much wanted to go traditional, but at the same time, traditional carries with it um, a pretty significant burden, right? If you mess up a page, you have to white it out or you start fresh. And considering that, you know, we both have day jobs and other responsibilities, going digital just made sense for me. 
Um, so this book is completely done uh, digitally. Uh, there was a learning curve involved, um, especially because the art kind of bounces between styles a little bit. So it was like not only learning, uh, learning how to use these new tools, but also honing my skill set in different modes almost. Um, that's been an experience for sure. I'm very happy with the result, but I am more traditional. Um, but for the last two years, it's a, you know, digital's been my main focus. And what program are you primarily using? <laughs> uh, another great question. So when we started uh, the Bardic Versus, I was using a an iPad Air, a $5 stylus, uh, my fingertip as a backup, and a budget art program just simply called Art Studio, which isn't horrible, but it, it doesn't have a lot of bells and whistles. Um, as we progressed through pages and this became more of a serious project, um, I upgraded to an iPad Pro 12.9. I've got my Apple Pencil, which I don't know how I drew digitally without it beforehand, to be honest. And um, I use Procreate primarily. Uh, I have a couple other programs that I will bounce in and out of for certain effects or um, certain things that I you know, just find easier in other programs, uh, but Procreate is my my primary go-to. Very cool. Yeah, I uh, I never thought that I would be um, such. Well, I mean, my art skills are, are lacking, and I'm I'm trying to get better. But like, I never thought that like I would love digital um, art as much as I do. You know, I was always the kid that was like drawing in the margins of a, you know, a line notebook. And I always felt that like I needed that sort of um, the texture, the feel of, a, you know, a pencil or a pen sort of scraping across paper. But yeah, they, they do, you know, with the, with the iPad and some of these other programs, they do sort of uh, mimic that, uh, that feel really well. And it's, a, it is amazing too. Like I have a, um, a paper-like uh, screen protector over my tablet, uh, which they seem to have a pretty good long life to them. I, I say I replace them every like three months or so. And it really does give that, that sense of feedback, you know, the, the pen tip on the, the light texturing of a bristle board, you know, it's, it, it mimics it very well. Um, and there's something to be said, I guess, about from, you know, making the transition to digital. If I mess up something, I hit the back button a couple of times. I, I, I eliminate a layer. I don't have to start over. Yeah, and um, and and the the sheer ease of art. I can take my tablet to work with me. I can draw during a break. I can go to go drop my son off at band practice and sit in the parking lot for a couple hours and draw in the car. You know, I don't think I could do that so freely if I was lugging around, you know, uh, a clipboard and inks and you know uh, piles of paper. Sure. So. It, it's certainly easier. Cool. So um, I guess now I'm going to turn us back to sort of that, uh, you know, that meeting that we have at the Christmas party um, and you guys get more serious about that. You're going to work on, on something together. I know that there was sort of the, uh, the, the pinup previously. Um, so Matt, was the, this book something that you had been sort of 
uh, thinking about in your mind, maybe had some, some notes and some outlines, or was this something that like at this moment you meet Pete and you're like, I got to think of something and you sort of go back and you brainstorm for a while. What was sort of the, the genesis of, of this, this story? So to be honest, like it was just completely like a result of us talking. We were initially, so we were initially working on one book. Uh, we brought in a couple of friends uh, that also worked at the same company to, to work on this one book. And like, we, it was like, it was a little bit slow going. Like, I, I think um, it was like, we weren't as committed to it as we wanted to be. And Pete, like Pete and I in the background were like, just ch chatting normally and then just workshopping like we were talking about at the time the witcher show had come out um and there uh there's famously a bard character that's that's pretty great in that show and we're just talking about like how much we liked it and how much that that song you know toss a coin to your witcher like is an earworm and it got into our heads and he was telling me he was talking to me about uh dnd he's an avid dnd player um, and was talking to me that bards were like kind of an underused character. And then from there, we were just like spitballing back and forth. And again, like it just grew organically. Like we were like, he, you know, he was talking about how we should, you know, do a bard book. And I, I came back with, yeah, we should do it. And let's, you know, uh, let's do it like kind of like an anthology where these songs, these songs, these verses um, are, you know, he's playing them in different, uh, style so we should use different styles of art to represent that and then the you know long story very short or long long story kind of not as long uh we kind of put together the bardic verses nice yeah i checked out the the website that you have um in sort of that front page um sort of the the information you give there that uh sort of describes what you're saying there with sort of the the, the witcher, the, the love of the sort of the, the, the bards and then sort of, uh, you know, the role-playing aspect of it. So you guys cover a lot of that on the, on the, the webpage for this. Yeah, I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons for a couple decades now. And, you know, when, when Matt and I first started kind of hashing through this idea, it was like, I started having like all these, all these flashbacks, like I've played a bard. I know that it's not the easiest character to play in that game and nor is it the coolest by any stretch, right? Like you're not, you're not cleaving giants in half and you're not throwing balls of lightning down on your enemies. You're, you're playing songs and you're trying to encourage, you know, the other players and their characters by default, you know, just to keep, keep, keep it on. And, you know, a lot of this resonated with me that we're going to have, we're going to tell a story about a bard who's telling stories. Each of those stories are going to tell the tale of how he gets to where he is at the beginning of the book. And to me, it was like, you know, the, the inner like 16 year old in me was like, this is, this is amazing. Like this is, um, it's a, it's a total throwback to years sitting at a table rolling dice and um, as we started to kind of unpack how that would look, you know, uh, we started spitballing a lot of ideas, you know, we can pay homage. It's, it's, it's got a D and D kind of a core and feel to it, but artistically let's pay homage to, you know, different artists, different genres, different, you know, different things, uh, throughout comics and some pulp, you know, culture. So, it, um, it, it really started to 
started to breathe on its own the more we talked about it. So um, you guys had mentioned that there's, um, you know, a change in, in art style. So is it basically, and there's an anthology sort of uh, feel to this. So is the, is the change in art style, like um, when you reference one of the songs, you know, depending on sort of the, the, the feel and the mood of the song, does, does that give it a different art style? Was that some of the, the thinking there? Uh, yeah, yeah. So um, every time our main character, Martillon, starts to play a song, uh, it, that song uh, is, is demonstrated in the book as a, as a story that's done in a different art style. So, for example, we have uh, my particular favorite here is called A Maiden to Smite For, which is a play off of um, Sin City. Uh, and Frank Miller's A Dame to Die For, A Dame to Kill For, yeah. And it's, um, you know, so in that, I transitioned my art from my typical comfortable style to black and white, playing with shadows, uh, incorporating hectic amounts of rain like Frank Miller would, and, uh, you know, trying to harness that visual. Um, even, even in our lettering, uh, who's uh, our letterer is uh, Matt Crotzer, who does a fantastic job. He is a wizard with fonts, and even even the way that he lays the words out is very Miller esque, where there's bulk text and it's kind of got that white blockiness to the to the um, like the panels within the panels. You know, it's uh, we try to stay very true to the visuals. Very cool. So um, the, the next question is going to be for both of you. It's going to be sort of a, a, a work process. Um, so Matt turns the stuff over to Pete and Pete gets, you know, to drawing, interpreting these, these words that Matt has put on, on, on the pages. Um, do you guys like trade, um, like Pete, are you turning in like thumbnails, loose pencils, um, you know, and then like, you know, closer to, to full ink so that Matt can sort of check off and maybe as time, I don't know if that process had, had changed. So, so what is the, the process there? Are you, you know, thumbnails, pencils, inks, and, you know, checking off and going, yep, you got it. Let's, let's keep going or no, we don't quite have this. Let's, let's fix that. What's that dynamic and work process like? Um, I think for the first few pages, I think Matt had, um, Matt had a very, you know, loose, um, you know, loose description of each panel, uh, which I tried to stick to. And then I think, I think as after the first few pages, I think he and I got into a nice rhythm because we were constantly talking on the side mm -hmm. of everything um, where it was, you know, he afforded me the freedom to just kind of draw what I draw. Um, he had notes in there of, on how he envisioned panels. If I felt that Maybe there were too many panels or, you know, uh, or, or not enough panels, or maybe we could add a page. Um, he's always receptive, been receptive to that. So I'll, uh, I'll just share my idea. We'll bounce it around. It will land somewhere, be it one way, the other, or in the middle. Um, I haven't really handed in anything like thumbnails. I've shared a few thumbnails for uh, certain sections of the book, um, but... Uh, I, I, I'm constantly sharing as I'm going with him to little snippets, a panel, a completed, completed line art, completed color. Um, so 
it's 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 constant communication so we haven't really had to need to share too much rough layouts or anything like that cool so i'm wondering and uh, i'm gonna check in with matt here um so i'm wondering if the fact that you guys are in the same location um you know working in the the same spot is it just sort of almost like a like a running dialogue of like, you know, passing each other in the hallway, sort of a text message, like this is what I have. Is it just like almost like a constant sort of communication in person and then through the ability to, to text, share emails, share images? Like, is, is that what it's like? So um, we don't actually work in the same location and even still like our, uh, our, our company is based out of Connecticut um, okay. where I used to live. And then when COVID Hit. I was kind of already working on this before COVID, but once COVID happened, I, I was able to go full remote and I, I moved back to New York. Okay. So, um, but since we kind of started, we were, we were in two different locations anyway. I was at our uh, main office and Pete was at a different uh, building. So um, it was basically, this is all through uh, Facebook Messenger. Like uh, all of our conversations are Facebook Messenger. We would jump on like a like a FaceTime call every so often, just to like he'll like show me what he's working on, or we'll just like just chat about the book in general. Um, so it was a lot of that, a lot of utilizing that tech technology. But mostly, it's it's conversations through Facebook Messenger, like just back and forth about the book, about other um, like stuff we were watching or whatever, like. Um, but like, like Pete said, like he always kept me updated on like what he was working on, uh, you know, what the pages were, were shaping up to look like just in case we needed to make any changes. But for the most part, like, like he said, um, I, my script was real loose. Um, and I, I didn't, uh, as long as we, as long as the page translated what, you know, we needed to happen, um, in the script, like I didn't mind what he did with it. I always told him like, if you have to expand or we need to cut a panel or something like I can, I'll figure that out. I, I could write around that, mm -hmm. but I'd rather like him kind of do his thing. I find to be honest, like when you're working with an artist, like if you let them kind of do their thing, um, you know, you, you do, you'll get the best work out of them. And that's not, I can't speak for every artist. I feel like some of them really do need like a strict uh, guideline in the script. But for Pete's like first one, you know, I didn't want to like, I didn't want to necessarily have to tie him down to um, my vision. Like this is our book. It's our vision. So uh, I just needed like uh, the story to, to be coherent and the dialogue to, to you know, kind of be my, my portion of it for the rest of it. I was just like, let's just, let's just have fun. I, I feel like to be honest, uh, I feel like I, I hope that translates to the page. Like that's all, all this book was, was us having fun. Um, yeah. And that's most important. I think when you're making comics is having fun. Cause you don't, sometimes you make comics and it's not fun. <laughs> sure. Sure. So, um, you know, you guys uh, have a very close relationship and you're, you're, you know, you're having a conversation, you know, mostly digital. Um, do you guys ever, you know, use like like a reference like you know go grab like a google image or go you know i'm really thinking about like this scene in this movie or like i envision this guy to sort of resemble like this actor like um how is sort of like fleshing out uh the story like how 
much is like traded other than just sort of communications like is there like i think when i'm thinking of this you know tavern i'm thinking of sort of like uh you know the the prancing pony from this you know from the the, the lord of the rings and you know that's the shot right here like do you do stuff like that yeah i mean pete pete definitely used references for some of the the characters um <laughs> for sure um, but we, there was sometimes like, there were some scenes that I was picturing one thing and he, and if he was struggling, he'd be like, can you just give me an example of like what this should look like? And I would, I would find reference online and send it over and he'd be like, okay, I get it. I understand. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of references being used. I think Pete can speak a little bit more about what he's used personally, but for sure, like if I wrote something in a script and he didn't, you know, he was kind of like having trouble picturing it, I would just send him like, no, it should look like this. And we went from there. Yeah, yeah. I think, I, no, think I think there's only been a few times I think where reference was was like uh, upfront handled off. I I do reference, um, especially because we're paying homage to to different creators. You know, I've got we've got some Bill Watterson, some Rob Liefeld, some uh, Ryan Oatley. We've got you know a bunch of some Disney. We have a Disney a whole section of the book that's done in like a Disney animation style. There, there certainly was, um, I think, some some points where it was like, hey, how about something like this, you know? Um, but um, yeah, it, a, a lot of it, I think, just also came naturally too. It was, um, you know, Matt, Matt's very clear when he, when he has something he needs included. And um, the way that he writes his dialogue paints a picture in and of itself. So as, a, as an artist reading his dialogue, and I would read through, each section that I was working on multiple times. So it was like second nature. Uh, and then the way that I draw it, I actually will take the page that I'm drawing from his script. I'll snapshot it and I'll incorporate it into the, into the drawing and essentially draw over it. So it's constantly in front of me. So I'm not forgetting to put something in there. Uh, but the way that he writes his dialogue, it paints such a, such a, a visual picture to me as an artist um that in, in most cases there wasn't a lot of question yeah i mean that's that's really cool i think uh one of the the the, the beauties of, of the internet and basically almost everything being at our at, at you know our fingertips with um you know with google um you know i've worked with folks and you know i've worked with folks in different countries and like you know i want this to look like a you know a, a English street in the 1970s and they're like you know I live in Argentina you know I, I have no idea what that looks like so you know you just google and you go this is what I'm thinking about and they're like oh okay I, mm -hmm. I understand that now so like that's that's really great that like all of that stuff is there I've heard like stories of like you know Jim Lee and some of those other guys from like the you know the the 80s and maybe the early 90s where like you know not all of this stuff was available so if they saw something really cool like in a magazine like they would clip it out and just sort of keep these files of all of these sort of um you know images that if they needed like the inside of an airplane um they could just sort of go and they're like oh i think i ripped a piece of uh, a magazine out and i have sort of uh, an idea of how i want to do this shop and now with everything being on the on the internet we can get to it so much quicker you know what's what's interesting about that is um, is there there there's been a few points where you know the the script calls for something like the main character's wiping a bloody nose with his hand or something like that, and you know I couldn't I couldn't get it right, 
So, you know, I'm in the, I'm in my living room. I'm drawing on my tablet. My son, who's about the right shape and build as our main character is right there. And I'm like, Hey bud, just, <laughs> just, just wipe your nose for me. Okay. Turn a little bit. Okay. Do it again. Click. And I would just take a snapshot of it just so I had something, something to go off of that wasn't, you know, a generic thing or, you know, something that kind of captured some, some level of realism, I guess. So uh, I, I guess that's the Alex Ross approach where <laughs> you take a picture of your friends and your neighbors and your, your loved ones and you turn them into Superman or whatever. But it's, uh, that's, uh, that's coming to play a couple of times for sure. That's, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I think uh, a couple of weeks ago, I saw Mitch Jared's um, post a picture where he had, uh, he had posed this kid um, and, and used him for sort of the, the, the reference for the, for the pose. So yeah, if, the, if they're there or if you have somebody nice. there, um, I don't know how many times, again, my, my art skills are lacking, but like I needed to draw a hand and it's just like, Hey, my hand's right here. Let me just sort of position it in the, you know, the, the form that I think that this person would have their hand at this point and just sort of, mm-hmm. you know, your hands right in front of you, you can kind of just use that for reference. So, yeah, I, I think that that's, that's awesome. And it's just like, use, use what's around you to, to, to help you out. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, we, we've talked a lot about this book. Um, I feel like we have like a good sort of uh, backstory uh, process. Um I'd like to maybe turn our attention to, to Kickstarter right now. So um, correct me. Um, I think we talked about this, but this is um, the first Kickstarter for, for both of you guys. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And uh, so, you know, we can breathe a, a sigh of relief at the time of this recording. Um, you guys have, have touched the funding goal, which you have about two weeks, but what was it like that day that, that you hit the launch button? Like, was it uh, a mixture of fear and excitement or was it, uh, uh, you know, I'm just going to click this. I'm going to walk away and I'm going to come back in, you know, a couple of hours and, and, and see, see where we are. How do you, how do you handle sort of the stress of, of running a Kickstarter? Um, I mean, I, I speak, I think I speak for myself here. I think I speak for both of us actually. Like when I, I, I'm, I'm confident in the book. I've always been confident in the book. I think there's nothing out there like it right now. Um, but, I will say that I'm like anxious by nature. Um, so as soon as I hit launch, I was refreshing Kickstarter like every five minutes, like that day productivity wise for me at work was <laughs> not good. Um, I was like distracted. Um, I mean, you know, I still got my work done, but like if people were trying to ask me questions, I was just like, yeah, 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 whatever. Um, and just refreshing. Uh, and at like, anyone that's familiar with Kickstarter knows that like that first like 48 hours is usually like gangbusters. Like you'll mm-hmm. usually get, you'll get like a lot of your funding in that first, that first uh, portion of time. And then like, you know, the middle is where it just kind of dries up, uh, which that's even, I feel like even more stressful yeah. um, because you feel like, am I not posting enough? Like, do I need to do more? Like, are people even seeing my tweets? Like it's a whole, just a whole ring of morale um, from start to finish. Uh, but I mean, like you said, like we are, luckily we are, we, we funded, I think about, we had, I think 18 or 17 days to go. Um, mm-hmm. So we were like about the, um, 
the halfway point for the campaign. Um, but still like that whole time before we were funded, it was just like refresh, refresh. Hey, we got this. Hey, this person pledged wrong. Like, can you go talk to them in person? Cause like, these are people from, from our day job, um, that, that pledged on the campaign. They were like pledging for the retailer tier. So we kind of had to like, you know, address that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was a whole separate stress but yeah i mean it was mostly just anxiety just like constantly refreshing and just worrying and again like as confident as as i was in the book like you never know like i had people that were that didn't see the camp like i was tweeting about it and and posting on facebook and instagram and all that stuff constantly and they they didn't see it until like we were halfway through they're like i like you know i never saw this post but now i finally saw it now i'm gonna pack it so it's just like you you can't tell right like you can't tell uh how social media is going to take your your post and and either am- amplify it or bury it so it was challenging i think is the best word i can use <laughs> uh so pete what what's your what's your philosophy here are you able to, to chill out or are you uh where are we at let's refresh what's the count um you know looking at the clock uh, how, how do you handle it um, I had my moments. Um, I, Matt, Matt's definitely uh, been doing the heavy lifting when it comes to, um, you know, uh, social media, you know, tweets, blasts, whatever. And, uh, you know, and he, he put a lot of, a lot, a lot of, a lot more effort into the, you know, how the campaign itself reads on the page than I did. Um, I think that, you know, when I had moments, where I wasn't busy with other things, you know, in the real world. Uh, and I was looking at it, I'd start to feel a little bit of a stress. Sure. Uh, I tried to remain optimistic through it though, you know, cause it's, it's one of those things where if you're not optimistic about it, then you could be, you know, inflexing some kind of negativity in yourself unnecessarily or, or whatever. And we had plenty of time. So uh, we did have a good, a good, you know, 48 hours, which was really, I think, positive to me. Um, where I think Matt, what were we, we were, we were half funded within 48 hours, 40%. Yeah. Yeah. Something, something like that. And it was like, okay, that's great. You know, uh, we did keep our goal humble after many sleepless nights of number crunching on spreadsheets to make sure that everything was right mathematically with our campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, I don't know. I've always felt, I always felt good about it, but yeah, there, there, there's certainly stressful times, you know, when you when you go an entire day and it's like, you get one pledge, you're like, Oh, what's that mean? You know, <laughs> but, but, um, but we, we met, we met our happy ending and now we're looking to make a, you know, see if we can extend the happy ending a little bit more, I guess now. Yeah. Um, well, you guys are, are, are men after my own heart. I've had some people on here lately. They're just like, Oh, I click the button. I walk my dog. I, I come in and I check it in the evening. I'm like, Oh, that's where we are. But no, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I'm a refresh. Where are we? Is, is does this person not like me anymore? Are they, uh, are they ignoring me? I, I, I take everything really, really personal. And I've actually sort of, I've actually sort of made an agreement with my wife that sort of during that funding period, if I'm walking around and I'm like looking at my phone and I let out a sigh, it's just, just let me sort of be off my own world. It's if there's something really bad, like I'll tell you, but most of me just sort of grunting or sighing or, or getting worked up. It's just silly Kickstarter stuff. Yeah. You know, you know, what's interesting is um, I, before the pandemic, I, I really, 
I mean, I was, of course, aware of what Kickstarter was, and I had gone on a few times. I think I might have backed one or two things, but it wasn't until the pandemic really hit where I was like, I'm going to jump on here and I'm going to support some projects. And um, as part of that, like, it's been interesting to see for me, you know, certain projects get funded almost instantly. And then other projects go the full duration and then cut it right down to the wire. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, you know, projects that you look at and you're like, all right, they got a thing here. This is, this is fantastic. The art's great. The, the premise is awesome. These are people that are in, in some, in some situations established and they're cutting it real close. And I think when we launched ours, there was that, that was that way to uh, heavy on, not to speak for Matt, but I think for, for both of us, where it was like, okay, you've got these projects where, um, you know, these are people who have launched things before. And these are people who have some, some recognizable name or, or, or work to their history and they're cutting it right down to the wire. And to us, that, that was a little deflating, mm-hmm. you know, you know, um, but also on, uh, on the opposite side of that coin, you're seeing projects that are, you know, funding within a day. And it's like, okay, well, it's, it all comes down to that. Who do you know? How can you outreach? And um, how special really is your project? And, you know, I think, I think we, we struck a, a, a nice enough balance to get funded. Um, my hope is that we can continue this for the next two weeks. Uh, I'd really like to get to our stretch goal and, and make this a hardcover, which is our, our primary goal right now. Uh, so, but, but knowing that we're funded definitely takes a weight off. You know, I don't feel that I need to jump on Twitter every 15 minutes. Sure. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I have, again, I, you guys are, you know, creators after my own heart. I, I, I stress, I, I look at numbers, I, I, I look at counts, I refresh. But I think one thing that was interesting for, for this book, um, very early on, it was on my radar because Matt, you were getting a number of like retweets from, um, you know, creators that I knew in common. So I was, I was seeing this book, uh, you know, get retweeted a lot by, you know, folks that I know through Kickstarter circles that have produced books. So like, how important is it to you that, that you are able to build this community of, of folks that are like, Hey, you know, I know Matt, his book is awesome. Um, you know, and Matt was there when, when, when my book was crowdfunding. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to support him and then I'm going to share it. So like, how important was that for, for you? Um, so first off, I, I'm glad you asked that question. Cause I was going to bring this up. Um, it, it's incredibly important. I think, uh, in general, when you're making comics, like you really need to, and I know people say this all the time, but it, it can't be more true. Like you really need to find other creators that are like, you know, uh, kind of at your level, like starting out doing Kickstarters, doing anthologies, doing whatever they can to publish books and just like, you know, uh, maintain those relationships, like foster those friendships. We have a group chat uh, on Twitter where, you know, we all like, they, they do like a weekly Zoom meeting on Thursdays, um, but we all like, we'll post uh, tweets in the group chat and just say, hey, can you guys go, 
and like like this tweet and retweet it and just spread the word mm -hmm. um and we all do that like sight unseen like I, i'll retweet anybody um that asks for it i'll, I'll go in and I'm, i'll like it i'll come you know I'll, I'll comment on it or whatever like just so to to get that quote-unquote engagement just to get more eyes and then and that you've just proven to me that like that it works like we did that you know that's how the, people spread the word these are people that also supported the book um you know when when we went uh when we went live they they pledged toward it so like yeah i, I would tell any any creator like looking to do comics like just you know talk to other people that are that are like you know hustling the same way you are and just foster those friendships um because they will carry you far uh in comics for sure like comics is a lot smaller than i think a lot of people think it is mm -hmm. um and it, it's it really is helpful like i'll i'll, I'll be 110 percent honest like if we didn't have this that community of creators i don't think we would have gotten funded um and it's scary to say that uh but like again you know they were so supportive of the book we've been talking about this book with to this specific group of creators like since we started working on it and everyone like really championed it uh the entire time so it was it was nice to see those people really come out um for it. and and again like i do the same for them i think the joke in in that in that specific group is that we're all passing around the same 20 dollar bill <laughs> um to everyone's projects so like i think again like it, it just helps like you really should build that that community and and really foster those those friendships because it's 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 necessary yeah yeah and uh and, and pete had made a an interesting point um that like during the pandemic um you know he wasn't that familiar with with kickstarter but he was jumping in um and, and, and seeing cool things and backing them i also feel like that's important like you know i don't know if it's necessarily like the 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 end all be all of things but like when you click on like a uh like a creator's profile i love to see it it's like i made three things i backed 148 things and not like um, I've created three things and I've backed two things. Like it, it's just, it's just really great when, when you see that, like, and not to say that it, I know everybody's circumstances, but like, it's just really awesome um, to see somebody that's, that's putting stuff out there, but is also supporting the, the other stuff that's, that's been put out there. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I, for think, sure. Yeah, I, I think it's again, like it's super important. Number one, but number two, like Kickstarter has been, just a great resource for creators you know like so and I, I i this is not the first time i've heard that by the way that like it's nice to see people that are creating kickstarters that this isn't like the, they've only backed one or two um i've backed i think over a hundred at this point um but that's all either like friends or just other like kickstarters that i've seen around um that that looked interesting but um i think again like over COVID because of the situation, you know, with like publishers going pencils down and stuff, like it, it was really the best time to, to go on to Kickstarter and, and support uh, books. I felt like Kickstarter was like at its peak uh, for that couple of months when COVID started because so many creators like didn't have uh, steady work. So they went to Kickstarter to, to to fund their projects and things like that. But yeah, it's, it's, again, it's super important. Yeah. I think there was one month where 
um, if you would have calculated all of the sort of the, the Kickstarters together, it would have sort of been like the second biggest publisher for, for that month. I think it might have actually sort of like jumped DC just just barely um, sure. during the sort of the, the pandemic time where there's probably a number of factors in that, that DC was scaling back, but also people were at home um, with the ability to, to sort of make things and weren't really actually, you know, have the ability to, to, to go out to a shop, but hey, I can back this book um, by a friend or something that looks really cool. This person's gonna, you know, print it, package it up in their, in their basement, take it to the post office, and then it's gonna show up at, at my door. So I think that that was a, a big, uh, benefit's not the right word, but just sort of like the, the circumstances just really helped out Kickstarter that way. Um, in the unfortunate, you know, nobody wants a pandemic, but like that's, you know, it, it created this environment of everybody being at home and, and, and creating and, and Kickstarter was sort of the vehicle to sort of um, use it as uh, distribution. You know, I, I just to tack on to tack on to all this too. Like, I think, I think what I found interesting, I, all of that is true, but in addition is, you know, I'm relatively new to like Twitter. I haven't only been on Twitter for like a year and in that short time, some of the connections um, that I feel that I've made have simply been through sharing other people's Kickstarters, right? Like you back it, you post it, you, you share it a couple of times. And even right now, you know, we're, we're two weeks away from our, um, from our campaign ending. And there's, there's a couple other Kickstarters out there right now that are running concurrently with us. There's uh, Savage Wizard, there's um, All the Devils Are Here and some others. Um, and, you know, we've all kind of shared each other's projects as we backed it or as we saw that they were posting multiple times throughout the day. I know I've jumped in and, you know, shared other people's things. And it's like, it's, it's an interesting level of support, you know, to know that, hey, these guys who are running their own campaign right now took a second from, you know, posting about their project again to say, hey, go check out the Bardic Versus, you know, and likewise. So it's, it's, it's a very interesting level of support and, and it really kind of, it really kind of shows the community that um, we all as indie comic creators, I guess, are involved in. Um, that's very encouraging. Yeah. So I think one, one of the, the interesting things about this campaign, um, you know, num- you know, I have social media so I'll get like a, a Twitter DM or a Facebook message from somebody going, hey, my Kickstarter is going to launch um, at such and such a date. Uh, do you have a, you know, the availability to, to have me on? And I will always like make the effort to either try to make it as close to their to their launch date or if they're in that dead period, then they just sort of need material to um, you know, post and, and, and hopefully get those eyes and ears to come back, uh, you know, I'll, I'll respond back to them. But for you guys, I was sent a contact from Jeffrey, I think it's Jeffrey Haas. And he was like, I have these two um, campaigns that I'm sort of supporting. Um, would you be interested in having those, those guys on? So, so how was that relationship built? So, um, uh, Casey, who writes uh, Bigfoot Knows Karate, yes. he is friends with Jeff through uh, the podcast Spoiler Country. Okay. Uh, I think Jeff like books for them. Um, 
and I was like putting out feelers for somebody to kind of do the legwork uh, for getting us onto podcasts and and sending out press releases because like I knew I wasn't going to be able to function like as <laughs> a as a like member of society while this uh, Kickstarter was was happening and I was right um, and he so Casey had recommended Jeff uh, we kind of told Jeff what we wanted to do. And, uh, you know, we brought him on board to kind of do that, exactly that, like book us on podcasts. He sent out press releases, all that stuff, um, just to make our lives like that much easier. Um, Because, again, like Casey, they're out there promoting Bigfoot Nose Karate. So um, he, you know, they had a good experience with Jeff. So and I've I've known Casey for a couple of years now. and uh, yeah, the rest was history. Like he's booked, I think we've been on, oh, I think like 15 shows wow. at this point, I think uh, 10, 15 shows somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, and we still have, you know, the, the campaign ends on the 11th. We still have, I think like six or seven shows to go, eight shows to go. Um, it's been kind of crazy. There was days where we were double booked. It was a lot, but um, it's been fun. I think it's been cool to like talk to other people um, about the book and just spread the word. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, when you can sort of, you know, outsource that one sort of aspect of the, uh, you know, the the outreach, um, it's one less thing that, that you have to do. And it seems like, uh, you know, Jeff, Jeffrey um, sort of has a passion um, for for comics so you know he's he's working to you know help you guys and, and spread the word so that's really cool yeah definitely cool so you know this has been a really great uh, interview you know we, we we got the origin story you know then we did the sort of the process talk in the middle and then we you know we, we finished up with the with the crowdfunding um, aspect of it so um Let's just talk a little bit about this book. Um, as we said, it's 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 funded now. Um, we're hoping to to hit stretch goal number one to 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 turn it into to a hardcover. Um, and you guys gave me an elevator pitch, but let's um let's uh, let's start off with Pete. Pete, do you want to let folks know where they can find you uh, online? I know that you said that you're relatively new um, to the to the Twitter sphere i'm assuming as an artist uh you might be more inclined to to post pictures on like instagram and stuff like that is that is that the case uh yeah i kind of bounce back and forth i i i dabble in them all at this point um i can be found on facebook uh i can be found on instagram and twitter as pack pac illustration um i try to put something up that's witty and intellectual <laughs> every day uh, and if i can't it's usually like a quick picture cool um so so matt i'm gonna ask you for for your socials and the uh the you know the last push pitch for for the bardic verses sure um let me start with my socials i could be found pretty much everywhere uh twitter uh instagram myspace friendster uh live journal dead journal uh <laughs> it's my handles at mattman begins so my first name matt um instead of bat um and uh quick elevator pitch for the book the bardic verses is about um a bard named martin swordhand 
who uh, comes from a long line of warriors. Um, he decided to pick up a loot instead of a sword, and he kind of has to deal with um, that that shadow of, of that legacy following him around and people, you know, kind of wondering why he didn't follow in those footsteps and what 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 does he bring to to uh, other adventurers? Like he had, he really has to deal with being kind of the NPC in his own story and, and how does he, you know, how does he solve problems without like beating people up? Um, we get into all that. And again, like we said before, it's, it's anthology style. Like all these stories can be read uh, on their own, but they do actually, it is one cohesive story. It is one journey um, that brings him to the bar that he's playing at. And we find out why at the end of the book. Very cool. So I'll just remind everybody again as we close up that we're recording this uh, towards the, the tail end of uh, September of 2021. And you guys mentioned earlier that the Kickstarter is going to run till August 11th, 2021. Is that correct? Uh, October 11th. October 11th. Uh, thank you for correcting me there. Um, awesome. So what I'm going to do in the show notes to this episode is I'm going to put a link to, to your website, um, the Kickstarter page, um, and social media, just to make it as easy as possible. Anybody listening, um, they can just sort of click, you know, scroll down in the, in the show notes, find the, the link for the Kickstarter, click that and have it open it up and, and, and check that out. So, um, Pete and Matt, it was, it was awesome, you know, getting to, to talk to you guys. Um, it's a really exciting book. Um, you know, congrats on, on funding, but let's, uh, let's make that push for, for stretch goal, uh, number one. Yeah, man, thanks for having us. No problem. Awesome. So I'd like to, to thank everybody for listening. If you could give us a rating and review on the podcasting service you use, we really appreciate it. If you want to follow the podcast, we're on Twitter. That's at Construct Compod. Instagram is Constructing Comics Pod and Facebook is Constructing Comics. Uh, once again, thanks for listening. Please be safe, be nice to each other and go out there and make some comics. Thank you.